0: The waiting room. At some point in our lives, we will all experience this waiting room. I don't know anyone who likes it, but is it possible for the waiting room to become a place of peace and grace? My name is Sharon Betters, and I am the host of this Health and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Today, Melissa Weisenfeld, Executive Director of Mark Inc., and I have the privilege of talking to Elizabeth Turnage, who says yes moments of peace and grace can be experienced in the waiting room. Elizabeth's most recent book, The Waiting Room, 60 Meditations for Finding Peace and Hope in a Health Crisis is packed with not only devotionals, but other practical ways to help us experience strength when we might feel our weakest. So Elizabeth, welcome. We are very excited to hear your perspective on the waiting room.
1: Thank you, Sharon.
0: Before we dig into your story that really preceded your writing of the book, "The Waiting Room," why don't you share with us a little bit about your life right now?
1: Sure. Uh, so I'm—I've been married for let's see, almost 37 years now, and my husband Kip and I are enjoying an empty nest with. Four adult children, three are married, no grandchildren yet. People always ask me that question. They're all kind of in grad school. And one of our favorite things to do is try to get together with our kids. And, you know, they're kind of around the Southeast where we are. So we're always traveling to visit them or having them here. And I write and lead retreats and help people tell their stories. So it's fun to be here where you all are so interested in people telling their stories for the sake of God's glory. And I'm also on a team that teaches Bible study weekly at our local jail, which I just love getting to do that too. Mm, I bet you hear a lot of stories there.
0: Yes, I do. Yeah. Just very yeah. hard
1: stories. Very, A lot very, of very
0: hard stories. I Years ago, I was invited to speak in our local jail. And I have to admit, I was very young, and I was so scared. And some of the headliner um, stories of, of women who were imprisoned, they were there, but the Lord was so gracious and they were so welcoming. It was quite an experience for me. So I kind of envy you that you get to do that on a a regular basis. That's wonderful. Well, 2017 seems to be the year the waiting room became a reality in living color for you. What were some of the circumstances that took you there?
1: Yes. So in 2017, I had already been in the waiting room for a couple of years with my dad who lived in Pensacola. He had been diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer a couple of years before, and I was his primary caregiver. And then that summer, my mom had knee replacement surgery. So I went to Atlanta to be with her for a little bit after her surgery. And then My uncle had a massive stroke and my father-in-law had a heart attack and underwent open heart surgery. So it was just like this deluge
2: of health crises in our lives. And each one of those sounds like they're just a painful experience, one after another. But then you and your family received some additional devastating news.
1: Yes, so the same day that my father-in-law had w- was going in for open heart surgery, our youngest son, who was 22 years old at the time, he was at home in between college and graduate school. He went in for a routine CT uh, scan for his sinuses. He had sinus congestion. And that afternoon, the ENT called my husband and told my husband, my husband was in North Carolina with his dad, or trying to get to his dad and told my husband very uh, terrible news that they had discovered a lesion that was the word that we heard first on my son's brain and so then that afternoon I had to take him to the hospital to have an MRI to confirm the diagnosis and by like late that afternoon early evening we were sitting in a waiting room at the local hospital and a neurosurgeon was telling us that he had seen a low-grade brain tumor on our son's MRI. Yes, it was very, it still makes my heart beat fast when I, when I think of that day.
2: Um, I'm a mom of, of young kids and um, there's, there's something extra scary when it is your child. Um, your parents, you know, it becomes very emotional, but when it's your child, that fear really does um, come into play. And um, so take us through that painful waiting room when it's your son,
1: okay. So this is this is a bit of a roller coaster. Even even the uh, one of the doctors at UAB Birmingham, where he was treated, used that that phrase to describe what happened next and our son's treatment and how everything went. So thankfully, we were able to schedule the surgery within a couple of weeks of his diagnosis. We decided to have treatment in Birmingham at UAB, which is where he had gone to college. So that was wonderful because he had a lot of community there, a lot of wonderful Christian community, and that really helped. Uh, The first surgery, the doctor had told us that it could take up to 10 hours. So we, we got in the waiting room and we were all ready. And we were, as you can imagine, very surprised when the doctor came out within a couple of hours. And told us, quote unquote, that he had very hopeful news. And he what he had seen was, he thought, not a brain tumor, but something called an AV malformation. So we had never heard that word, an arteriovenous malformation. And because of that, he had to stop the surgery. He if he had continued, he could have caused bleeding if he had cut into this AV malformation. So that surgery was stopped and then they They did diagnosis, diagnostic testing to see if it was an AV malformation. And two days later, when our son was released from the hospital, they had decided that there was still a brain tumor there and that he did need to have another surgery. So two weeks later, two weeks after the first surgery, he had his second brain surgery and this time, as, as I said before, we prepared for that long wait. And about six hours later, the doctor came out and he said he had removed the tumor and that he had removed 98% of it, which is really good. You know, there's a lot that goes into removing a brain tumor, as you can imagine, not to affect other parts of the brain. It is it's really incredible. They they did something called an awake craniotomy. So that means that our son was mildly sedated, and there was a speech pathologist talking to him. <laughs> I, it just it it you know when I when you think of the little details and how God preserved our son to go through that and made him able, it's just amazing. There are so many things like that. So at that point, that was very that was very good to say. We've got 98% out, and we're waiting now for the results of the pathology to see what kind of tumor it is. And, um, you know, they're thinking low grade chemo radiation, what's next? So that was the next wait. We went back to the hospital about 10 days later to get pathology results and to have stitches taken out of his head. And the neuro oncologist told us that they they weren't quite sure what it was so they had sent it on to this world-renowned pathologist in California and we had to wait some more to find out what what the results of the pathology were. Meanwhile we went next to have his stitches removed and as the resident was removing stitches he noticed signs of infection. So now our son's wound was infected and they did some tests and like right then that afternoon, admitted him to the hospital there, with plans to go in for a third surgery the next morning and wash out the wound. And they told us that my husband, my husband had to go back home because he's a doctor. He had patients that he had to see the next day. Um, he had surgeries to do. So that was probably one of the worst waits because I was I was alone in the waiting room while they did this surgery the next day. And we hoped that the, the, the surgeon told me he might have to remove like the bone on top of his skull. I think they called it the skull cap. I am not medical. So I <laughs> I, I had to learn a lot in this uh, process. And I just prayed that whole time, Lord, please do not let them have to remove this bone. And my you know was, my heart was just beating so fast the whole time. Well, two hours later, the surgeon came out and he told me that that our son was doing great. And then he told me he did have to remove that bone. And I was just so discouraged. And the doctor was saying, Elizabeth, he's going to do great. And I realized now, for me, what that meant was we have to do six weeks of IV antibiotics and we're going to have to have another surgery because... They have to go back in and remove and and replace, put something in there where they took that bone out. So, whereas the doctor was seeing his brain was not infected, the wound was infected, the bone was infected, but what would have been far, far worse was if he had an infection in his brain. And so I understand that now, but in the moment. That was very difficult. So now we were we had to wait another six months for the infection to be fully clear, and do one more surgery, and then uh, meanwhile, so back in Pensacola, uh, my dad, who I mentioned at the beginning, had had prostate cancer. I I found out that his chemo pill, which is what he was doing to treat the cancer. Was no longer working and his condition had rapidly deteriorated. It's the end of September. On October 2nd we got the news that the the mass in our son's head was not cancerous. (laughs) It was a mass of neurons that had probably been there since he was born and then nine days later on October 11th my father died of cancer. So that's that's kind of the the twists and turns of of the early part of that story, or kind of the that's the larger part
0: of the story. Well, you're as I'm listening, you're you're telling us the facts. It's kind of like a medical report, mm. but I can only imagine the emotions you were experiencing. Can can you describe mm. some of those emotions? And I'm sure every parent will resonate with you. And then with all this stress that's coming not just from your son but from your dad I can imagine that I mean that by itself would have been life-changing how did you handle those emotions because there wasn't a whole lot of time for processing you had to keep meeting the next the next event
1: yes so uh, you called it Sharon <laughs> as a parent and you said this earlier Melissa you know it's just different when it's your 80. 80- three-year-old father and and when it's your 22-year-old son. And so uh, the range of emotions was vast from shock, denial. I remember when my husband first called me and I was like, I know I just saw him. He's fine. He can't, you know, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with him, which was hard because he never had any symptoms of a brain tumor. Um, Fear that first night, especially that first couple of nights, my husband was not home, and we were going to see the neurosurgeon the next day and just having nightmares all night long. But almost as quickly as that fear came, I just this overwhelming, that surpassing peace that Philippians four talks about, and I knew it was from the Lord because it just was not in and of myself to have that kind of peace. I wrote one of the meditations about that called "Do Not Panic, I Am With You" from Isaiah forty three one, and the Holy Spirit really settled my heart and gave me the strength in that first twenty four to thirty six hours when when my husband was not at home. Um, obviously, as I told the story, it's such a roller coaster. And in the same way, there was a roller coaster of emotions. So there were times when I had that surpassing peace. And there were other times when I had anger and confusion. Like, why is all this happening at once, Lord? You know, isn't it enough that, that uh, our son is ill? And now for my father to, to be dying, right? you know, right in the midst of this, it was so very confusing. At one point, I wrote out this email to some friends of mine, dear, dear friends who used to live here in Pensacola, and they've all moved away, but I just kind of vented through email, and I just wrote down, I was like, you have to pray for me, because I am, and then I just listed all these things, you know, I am irritated at every little thing, I am furious at death, I am furious at my inability to prevent suffering for my loved ones. I don't like the way dying looks, you know, it's very ugly to see the the way my father died. Um, And one of my, one of those friends, they were all so sweet in how they responded, but one of them called me the next day and she's a counselor and and she, she was very gentle with me because she knows I've had a lot of counseling background. And she said, well, now Elizabeth, you You do realize don't you that everything you described in that email is a symptom of grief, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I just laughed. I was like, "Oh, Christy, thank you for saying that because even though I kind of knew that intellectually i you know I needed to hear that that it's very normal, and you know for your listeners." That when we're going through something like this, it is so normal to experience a a wide range of emotions. And that doesn't mean, you know, I think of your book, Treasures in Darkness, here, and it doesn't mean that we're not Christians or that we're not strong in our faith, but the Lord made us with these emotions. As far as dealing with the stress, i well, I've already kind of indicated that I did not always cope well <laughs> sometimes we're better than others, but what really helped me a lot uh were really i'd say three things: scripture, prayer, and Christian community and with scripture um just knowing i've I've been a Christian since I was fifteen, so I've been reading the Bible and knowing verses to go to and you know. I'm sitting there in the waiting room and I'm scrolling through my phone, through verses on my phone that bring me peace. And then friends would send me verses through text or email. And uh, so that was really sweet. And then prayer. Sometimes as you all know, when you're going through these things, it's hard to find the words to pray. And so some of my friends and even acquaintances sent prayers that they were praying for me. And that, helped me so much. That's one of the reasons I put prayers in the book, for when you can't think of what to pray. I also have a prayer journal, so I did write out a lot of my prayers, and it was really sweet to be able to look back and read some of those prayers, even through the days, like to look back to two weeks ago and what we prayed for the first surgery. That's been a great gift. And then Christian community, not just, you know, our local church, but the church, the body of Christ, the way people that we did not even know in Birmingham, where we did not even live, (laughs) responded to us and came around us. And we use this expression as Christians sometimes of lifting people up in prayer. And I felt as if I was literally carried by the body of Christ, that bearing one another's burdens. So I would say those three were really probably the most important in dealing with
0: stress. And Elizabeth, you are very transparent in your book, The Waiting Room. You you mentioned you'd give specific examples of when you were angry and when you were frustrated and irritated and all those things. So it's very helpful. I think people want to hear from real people. And you were certainly real in your book.
2: We've gone through a series of surgeries with your son, the roller coaster of stresses and and fears, Um, I love that you tie it into acknowledging that there was grief along that process. I think a lot of people feel like they have to hold it together and stay so strong and they don't really have an opportunity or acknowledge that those emotions and things exist. At the same time, you lose your dad and you didn't really have an opportunity at that point to really process much of it because you were just one after another after another and or even celebrate the good news of your son Um, Because just a few days later, you you lost um, your dad. Um, So then, at that point, after your father's death, you received more bad news. So, what was that?
1: Yeah, so we're, it was, it was a really crazy, mixed up time because there was so much going on all at once. I had to give my son IV antibiotics three times a day. My husband was able to help with one of those sometimes, but I was doing that. And then before my dad passed away, I would like run over to the assisted living facility and check on him. And then I would be on the phone to home health care for our son. And then I'd be on the phone to home health care for my dad. And so it's just so much at once, and it was hard to process all of this. And and that's I think that's just I, again, one of the things that sometimes happens when you're in the waiting room is that so many things are happening at once, and and it's hard. And the Lord allows us to be in those hard places. And then, you know, we think, in some ways, after my dad passed away, we thought, okay, all we have to do is get through these last few weeks of IV antibiotics, and um, and then we're clear until the next surgery. You know, things will it just kind of look like maybe things were gonna. Slow down a little bit, and then we got a call that our son was immunosuppressed. And so, which you know, again, I I still don't fully understand all that, but what it meant, I mean, it's a very scary situation. I understood that, and by the tone of voice my husband had when he heard that news, and so it meant he, he had to we had to change his antibiotics and might have needed to go on for longer with the antibiotics. So, I was just that was like the last straw for me. I mean, that was, I was done. And um, yes, Sharon, people have mentioned that the fact that I was very real about things in the book have been helpful because I I think that, that God really shines a light. You see the redemption when when you see the reality of my own sinful heart. Because I'll be honest, when on that day when we got that bad news, my husband and I had a big fight, which we we're probably due for with all of the stress. So uh, I say that just because I know that other people in waiting rooms are having fights with their spouses, <laughs> it's actually another thing that my friend told me was normal. So, but the Lord was very gracious to just you know help us regroup. And repent and get back on track and thankfully they did change the medication and two weeks later my birthday is November 1st and and we were going to the doctor October 31st and I said if they tell him he can get off these medications that is gonna be my best birthday present ever and so thankfully they did and um and that was kind of the end of of bad
0: news for a while it's um It's so refreshing to hear you be so honest, and um, because all of us, if we're honest, are going to have to admit that, I mean, just one thing after another, it seems like there was a hammer on your head, just one pounding after another. And then something that shouldn't maybe have been so devastating to you was like, this is it. I'm just so done with all of this, and, um, but I, I think what you said earlier about grief, that, that all of those feelings you were having tied into grief, uh, which are normal, and sometimes we, I think we give ourselves a bad rap assigning sin to normal responses to difficult places, especially if those responses lead us back to Jesus. The other thing that I I've gotten from your book is that um, these hard places sometimes reveal our hearts in a way that make us uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, show us where, hey, we need to do a, a checkup here on our own hearts. Like, why did I react like that? Why did I get so upset? What what am I, What is my root issue here? And so, opportunities for the Lord to open our eyes to places where He wants to make us more like Christ in that waiting room. I think about all those waiting rooms, and uh, surely God has not wasted it because you're touching so many people with the message of the waiting room that you can find peace and hope in that in, the, in a health crisis and really in any waiting room. Um, and your experiences give you such credibility to write a book like this. But was there a moment when you were in the waiting room? Was there an aha moment um, and where you thought, you know what, there could be hidden treasures here? That I just need to be sensitive to.
1: Yes, Sharon. I I don't know that there was specifically one moment, but I know that from early on, as early as that first day when I felt that overwhelming peace, even in the midst of the terror, uh, I knew that that God was so kind to us, and and so it, uh, was our strength and our weakness. And you know, I had several people say. Uh, something to the effect of, you know, y'all just don't deserve this. And they weren't necessarily coming from a Christian perspective, but uh, as if our family didn't deserve this kind of suffering. And I remember sitting there in the waiting room, thinking about other friends who had experienced, and, and people like, you know, that you are ministering to in your ministry, people who've gone through so much suffering. And I thought, why not us? You know, we have the faith we ha- we know that God loves us and he is merciful. We trust the Lord. We have the hope that no matter what happens on this earth, one day Jesus will return and make all things new. So um, there was that. That was kind of a theme throughout. And then there was also, there were times, I, I wrote about one in the book where I really failed to offer the comfort that I had been comforted with the the second Corinthians verse, and I would look around at the faces, there's so many people in those waiting rooms, and I would look around at them and think, how in the world do you do this without the hope of Christ? And so there was this longing that was growing in me to create a resource for people people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus to to know the goodness of the Lord meeting us in that hard
2: place. So you say that though we hope for physical miracles, um, there is a better hope. So what is that hope? It's so good. (laughs) As
1: Christians, we we already know the end of the story. So um, we can look to Revelation 21 and 22, the the literal end of scripture. Mm -hmm. And, And of course there and plenty of other places in scripture tell us the good news that one day Christ will return and he will restore all those broken bodies, minds, hearts, souls. One day God will dwell with us. He will wipe all our tears in that day. One day we will never struggle with sin anymore. I love that that you brought that out, how these hard places will bring minus control. <laughs> so that's when the the straw that broke the camel's back was just, I have no control over my life. And the Lord was definitely calling me to to release things to him. But one day we're going to be like Jesus and one day we're going to live as God designed us to live and enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. <laughs> so we do have that to look forward to, and that is the good news of the gospel.
2: Well, I love that you organized your book is sixty meditations. Um, I know I've had short experiences in waiting rooms thus far in my life, and I know there are more to come ahead of me. You know, my son had a surgery when he was two, and it was about a six-hour surgery, so we sat there with the bated breath and the waiting for someone to come out and give us the updates. But what I love most is that the book is designed to be kind of like short nuggets that you can just absorb quickly. They can bring it, they end in in prayer. So as you shared earlier, sometimes you really just don't even know what to ask for. And we know the spirit does intercede on our behalf. Thank God for that. Um, But you really kind of guide people through. And you encourage the readers um, with that hope through those daily devotions to just give them a nugget and a verse and and share a real life experience. You're not alone, other people have been in similar place. So just to give our listeners kind of an idea of of some of the themes of the book, what are some of those those themes that you really tried to drive home throughout these, these meditations?
1: There are so many things that come up when you're in that place. So control, You know, just reminding that God is in control, Talking about the peace of God and the peace of Christ, talking about comfort. And all of these, you know, I begin with the Bible verse on that particular topic and then a short story. So, you know, even if all you have time is to read the verse which starts (laughs) the particular meditation, then that's in your head. And that's the most important thing. I talk about grief. I talk about community, death, angels, miracles, things that, that really you start to think about more in those places maybe than you do just in your everyday life. And
0: I love the emphasis on music that you bring to the table and even the, the um, playlists that you've created that are on your website. Tell us about that.
1: Oh, yes. Music <laughs> Music was so helpful because I I know, Melissa and Sharon, that y'all have been in waiting rooms. And I consider myself now a waiting room connoisseur. So <laughs> I feel like I could go into different doctors and hospitals and tell them what is great about their waiting room and what they need to fix. And one of those is when they play CNN in the waiting room. That is <laughs> Not helpful. <laughs> I don't need, uh, you know, bad news blaring in my ear at that moment. So one of the things that I often did was put in headphones and listen to worship music to li- to hymns that, that sing the truths of scripture into my heart. And, you know, science has shown that music uh, brings stress relief and is good, you know, certain types of music. But but the Lord has shown us that in scripture, filling the scripture with the Psalms and with songs. And so uh, I did want to provide, you know, a song that went along with the theme of each devotional just or, or and that playlist. So if you're just sitting there, and you don't want to read, you could just listen to this music, have it wash over you and remind you of all of the truths about God, all of the truths of the gospel, which
0: are really at the center. They center us and calm us. And what is your website? for anyone who wants to jump over there right now.
1: It is elizabethturnage.com, and you'll find a a tab for The Waiting Room, and that's where you can find that playlist. I put it there. It's also on Spotify, so if you're a Spotify listener, search
0: for The Waiting Room devotional, and and there is a playlist. And we have this information on our website as well, um, on the landing page where you can find where you found Elizabeth's Conversation, our conversation with Elizabeth. Uh, but if someone shared this with you as a friend, go to markink.org where you can capture that information as well. Um, I one more thing that you recommend to readers is that they journal and that they try to reflect on what they have read. And like, like Melissa said, they're nuggets. They're it's not overwhelming. It's like one thought to reflect on. Why is it important? You kind of mentioned it earlier when you talked about recording your prayers, but why do you think journaling is important? Yes. Well,
1: (laughs) I know you know this, Sharon, because I I read your book, Treasures Mm -hmm. of Darkness. And let me start with just a Again, science, I always love it when science bears out things that the Lord has shown us in scripture, but science has shown that writing is very therapeutic. Writing our stories is very helpful and very therapeutic. We'll take that one step farther and scripture tells us to remember psalm 78 remember the wonderful deeds of the lord to record his miracles to share those and so when we write those down we have the opportunity to, to go back to, and I do, I write out my prayers every day. I use the simple adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication structure. So, you know, I don't write out every single prayer I ever pray, that would take a long time, but just follow that. And then I write, you know, I have places where I've written people that I'm praying for. And um, so when we have that written place, then for one thing, you know, when we're writing, it It calms us. It centers us. It reminds us. I write out scripture verses. I talk about that in the book. I want one of the waiting room experiences. because I just doodled John 14 one. So um, which I'll talk about in a minute. But it is just a way to calm your soul to remember what is true. And when you can go back and look at what you've written and what God has done, it it strengthens your faith. It is so, so encouraging. Or, you know, where God said no, not just where God said yes, but where God said no. And, and what you see later about that, I obviously have strong feelings about journaling.
0: <laughs> well, I, I share those and I'm pretty sure that Melissa does too. Um, we both have experienced that power of journaling and and writing out our prayers and just running to the Lord with all of those heart burdens. And that's a perfect um, bridge into our last few minutes together, Elizabeth, as we wrap up this really special conversation that Melissa and I have been having with you. I'd like for you to imagine that you're sitting across the table from someone who is in the middle of a waiting room experience, maybe it's a caregiver, maybe it's someone waiting for news, hope, hoping for good news, maybe it's someone who just feels like they can't take one more day of uh, the kind of waiting that they are in right now. What hope could you give to that person one-on-one?
1: Well, I would say uh, the verse that you, you told me you were going to ask me this question, and I think it's such an important one. John 14, 1 I doodled this verse one time (laughs) early on when I was waiting for our son to get out of an MRI that lasted three and a half hours. And it says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And I would just say to my waiting friend, please keep asking, seeking, knocking, keep telling the Lord what is in your heart. Be honest with the Lord. He knows your heart and know that Jesus is near. He is with you and he cares so deeply. And finally, ask people for For prayer, ask, invite people into this hard story, invite them to bear your burdens with you and and let them comfort you.
0: Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing your heart, for being so transparent. And thank you, uh, listeners, for for uh, joining us in this conversation with Elizabeth Turnage. My name is Sharon Betters, and Melissa Weissenfels and I have just enjoyed so much getting to know Elizabeth better and introducing her to many of you. It's such a privilege. Uh, Elizabeth is the author of The Waiting Room and other books. You can connect with Elizabeth at ElizabethTurnage.com, where you will find more of her books as well as her outreach called living stories i also want to invite you to visit markinc.org m-a-r-k-i-n-c.org where you will find numerous other free resources stories like elizabeth's designed to offer help and hope These resources are free because of the support we receive from people who believe in the mission of Mark Inc. Ministries to offer help and hope. If you have been encouraged by Elizabeth's story or by many of the other resources we offer, would you prayerfully consider giving a gift of any size to enable us to continue to share stories designed to help turn your heart toward Jesus? Thank you so much for listening.